Well, good morning, everyone. It's nice to be here again. It's a long time since I, I was here last, and uh, I suppose you've more or less forgotten. Anyway, never mind about that. <clears throat> Uh, thank you for asking me to come and share with you from the Word. Now, when Michael asked me to come here, of course, you start wondering, where shall I start? And uh, being a true Anglican, um, I thought I would start with the set lesson for today. And uh, I'm going to read that uh, uh, to you. And it's from St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Very familiar passage. And on the surface, it doesn't seem to have much to do with harvest. We'll see. 17th verse of Mark chapter 10. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. He asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. At that saying, his countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Harvest. Again, I ask, where would you begin? Well, if you were looking in the Old Testament for things about harvest, it's obvious where you would begin, isn't it? You would start in Genesis, and that very familiar passage in Genesis which says, While earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. It's not a bad place to start, is it? For it's something very special. And people usually say, well, that was a tremendous promise given by God. But it doesn't say that in Scripture. It just says, the Lord said in his heart, I will do these things. And then we would move on in the scriptures to find somewhere else where harvest is mentioned. And we'd have to travel on to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And those of you who know your scriptures will know what I'm going to say next, don't you? It's all about the Feast of Tabernacles, the harvest festival of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And, uh, for instance, uh, Leviticus 23 On the fifteenth day of the month, when you've gathered in the providence of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord. Or Deuteronomy chapter 24. When you've gathered the grapes of your harvest, you shall not glean afterwards, but it shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. 
So there are two occasions. There is the uh, festival of, uh, of Thanksgiving, uh, and there is also that uh, instruction uh, given by God that the, um, the entire harvest is not to be gathered. But there is the gleanings are to be left for those who are poor and needy. And then we move on to uh, 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 the next thing, which is Psalm 104, which is a passage that we all know probably very well, and Psalm 66, because it is the time uh, where uh, there is this great thanksgiving to God. Listen to this. Thou visitest the earth and waterest, thou greatly enrichest it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so they have prepared it. Thou waterest its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. Thou crownest the year with thy bounty. The tracks of the chariots drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. These sort of gleanings from the Old Testament uh, just give an indication of sort of what lies behind all of this. We can sum it up, I suppose, when we look at the the, the word that God gave in Genesis, the Feast of Tabernacles in Leviticus, the leaving of the gleanings in Deuteronomy, and the praise bit in Psalm, it can all be summed up as God's pronouncement, God's party, God's provision, and the provision that we make for others, and praise to God. We can put it in another way as well, if we want to do it theologically. We can start off and say, what God said about seed time and harvest is grace. Because it's the way he planned things. We move on then to see that gratitude is to be expressed by those who experience God's grace. They are to have this feast of of thanksgiving to God. And then we move on to generosity as the gleanings are left for the poor to help themselves to for nothing. And then we move on to glory to God. So if you want something beginning with P, you've got them. And if you want something beginning with G, you've got them as well. And I can remind you of them that there is God's pronouncement, God's party, the provision and the praise. And then there's grace and gratitude, generosity, and glory to God. So I could spend a long time chattering away about those things, but I'm not going to. I'm going to leave you to uh, ponder on those things perhaps at some time. And uh, both ways seem to say, this is the way God intended. And it's a rather lovely picture, isn't it? With gratitude, with praise, with stuff to spare and all that sort of thing. It's a lovely picture. And it's almost a picture of an ideal world. But of course we don't live in an ideal world, unfortunately, as we are reminded in Scripture and as we know ourselves uh, by our own experience too well. 
For instance, I mean, look at Proverbs 11:24, And scripture says, One man gives freely, and yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. And that was written out of the experience of those who observed what happens in life. Or we move on to Proverbs chapter 10 verse 5. A son who gathers in summer is prudent, but a son who sleeps in harvest brings shame. Or Proverbs 14. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You see, there's competition in this world between God's intention and the way in which mankind lives. And that comes clear in Scripture. And uh, there are consequences, of course, when we don't do it God's way. It makes me squirm when I go to funerals and they play at the end of the service, I did it my way. Assuming that God is going to bless and welcome into heaven the person who has departed. When in their life they have lived a life that has made God's teeth go on edge and all that sort of thing. Amazing. However, that's why we have the commandments, of course, because there are consequences. And the commandments are a further act of grace, because there are four, ten um, ways, four ways in which we should relate to God, and six ways in which we can relate to other people, that God gives as guidelines to this world uh, to, to live by. But that word commandment is an incredibly misunderstood word. I don't know how you uh, uh, interpret the word commandment. I mean, if you were to go into the Hebrew, of course, you, it wouldn't be commandment. It would be something completely different. But it's the way it's been translated that's important. Because the commandments are seen by many as sort of prisons. Don't ram your religion down my throat kind of thing. Assuming that Christianity is a set of rules that we need to live by, and if we don't live by them, we'll go to hell, and if we do live by them, we'll go to heaven. That's not what the commandments are all about. Because uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 sort of talks about the Pharisees and saying, look, These people who have all these rules for you to keep are binding you. They're crippling your life. And of course you know how guilty you can feel sometimes when people throw a commandment at you. Not that you've committed adultery or anything like that, but you know there are instances in which You could be made to feel guilty. And there are many preachers who love to make people feel guilty. I hope I'm not going to do that today. But it's true. Commandments, laws make people feel guilty. And that was not God's intention in giving these 
these commandments. Um, there are two particular words that are translated commandments in the Old Testament. I'm not going to give you the Hebrew because I don't know it, I can't read Hebrew, and it would confuse the thing. But the first thing is, it's the, the, the word translated commandment is God's word. God's word. Simply that. Putting into words what God planned. That's what a commandment is, or one of the meanings of the commandment. He put into words what he had in mind for the world and laid them before us through Moses and elsewhere. That's the first one, just a word. The second is a precept, which is guidance. So that as we travel through life, we can look at God's words to see what he intended, see whether we match up to them, and adjust if we don't. Simple. The commandments are there to encourage, to guide, to uplift, to rejoice in. Because they show us the mind of God. And uh, so God is saying, I've let you know what is in my mind for this world. It'll work. And of course it does. So we get Genesis chapter 26 verse 5. And we see there a little picture of Isaac being talked to by God. And God says to Isaac, I will multiply your descendants. Uh, and by your descendants, all the nations of the world shall bless themselves. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my words. So God was just encouraging uh, 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 <coughs> Isaac just to do as his father had done. We move on to sort of see what happened about Noah. We all know that there was something special about Noah where he listened to God's commandments, God's word, there's going to be a flood, and did something about them. He adjusted his life to get into step with God's intention. We move on to Moses in Exodus 33. And it tells us there, the Lord would speak to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. And there we get the picture of a good relationship between Moses and his creator. It's the way the Bible puts that. Or we move on to David in 1 Samuel 13. God raised up David to be king, of whom he said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. The characteristic then of David, and of course Jesus. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And all of these individuals understood what God intended. 
And as they understood what God intended, their lives uh, uh, became more and more uh, tuned in to God's uh, to God's ways. They were warned by God's um, by God's instructions. So, of course, today is one thing to ask: How do you see the commandments? Are they liberating, or are they imprisoning? Or the the impression that you, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, give to other people that you are imprisoned in laws and regulations, or in fact you're rejoicing in being in tune with your Creator. Well, consider today's world in which we live. It's a wonderful place, isn't it? I mean, it is when you look outside. When you look into the human scene, what do you find? Well, there's been an awful lot recently about mental problems. Something's gone wrong with people's thinking, their attitude, self-harming. What about the health problems? NHS creaking under the strain of people depending upon medication to, to have a life worth living, as they think. Or the moral problems we have. And the confusion there is about all aspects of our lives, that everything is getting mixed up and we don't quite know where we are, and am I a man or am I a woman even? And the discord that there is, just listen to Parliament. The disregard for nature, the pollution that we've got, the wars that are going on, and so forth and so on and so on. That's the world in which we live. And how far down the list of people's priorities nowadays are the words of God? How far down the list of priorities in your life are the words of God? Well, he knows, and perhaps you know. Think of the young ruler that I read about earlier on. Life was good to him. He was obviously healthy. He was looking forward to a wonderful life. He had plenty. He was uh, morally a very, very high standard of living. A future lay before him. And yet, because he encountered Jesus, he came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, how can I have a quality life that will lead me into heaven. And Jesus said, well, how far have you got? And he said, well, you know, these commandments, follow them. Now, Jesus didn't say, do you? He said, well done. But have you noticed anything about that reading and the command and the and the ten words of God? Where were the first four? Where were the first four? 
It's so easy to think that the last six are the things we need to concentrate on. But the first things in the commandments all to do with the relationship with God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And various other things that follow from that. I shan't have idols. You'll have a special day for him and so on. You shan't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Somehow that had been missing from this young man's list of priorities. And so Jesus saw that inside of him, because of that, was a restlessness in his spirit. He was out of tune with God. He might have been into tune with the Jewish faith. He might have been in tune with the teaching of the Pharisees. He might have been teaching with, in, in tune with some of the laws. But he wasn't in tune with his creator. And Jesus' response was, well, if you really want eternal life, change your priorities. Put those six commandments, those six laws, those six words of God, those six precepts, a little bit further down the list and put God where he's meant to be, at the top And he went away sorrowful. Jesus often spoke of harvest, but the harvest that each individual reaps in their life. Not just at the end of it, but in the course of it, in everyday living. There was the rich fool who had these barns full of stuff and wanted to build bigger ones and God told him he was a fool. There's a sower who did all his work and various things happened to the seeds and then the tares and the mustard seed and so on. But of course, these weren't lessons in horticulture at all. They were simply to put the question, is your life in tune with your creator's intentions? And each of them in their own way did just that. So we come to ask, are we grateful for God's instructions or do they grate on us? Financial things, moral things, relationship things, God's commandments, do they greaten us? Because they all boil down to, is it God first or me first? If God asks us to do a difficult thing, does it grate on us? Or do we say, I didn't realize You want me to do this. And we do it. They can be very inconvenient, can God's words. Sad when they are. It was the man who asked God to be merciful to him 
because he knew that he was out of tune with God, that Jesus said he was on the road to being what God intended. There's a wonderful prayer in the Anglican Church that used to be said from the old prayer book at harvest time. And it seems to fit the things that we've been saying when we think of grace, leading on to gratitude, leading on to generosity, leading on to giving glory to God. It's called the general thanksgiving and it goes like this, Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we thine unworthy servants do give thee humble and hearty thanks for all thy loving kindness to us and to all men. We bless thee for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all, for the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace, and for the hope of glory. And we beseech thee, give us a due sense of all thy mercies, that we may be unfeignedly thankful, and that we show forth thy praise not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to thy service and by walking before thee in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. An amazing prayer because it sums it all up. In tuneness with God. And harvest is a time to sort of reconsider all of that. Whether it be the, you know, looking at the pronouncements of God and the rejoicing and the provision and the grace and all the other things, it's there. There's a little chorus that we sang in Bible class years and years ago, which sticks and it's appropriate. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wondrous compassion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine, till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. That's the harvest that God intended through his words. Trust God that we all embrace those words. And that the words of that prayer and the words of that simple little chorus are there in our living to his praise and glory. Amen.